Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Grossenbach. Interview with Dave Thomas and Mike Clark today, sent in by faithful listener Robert Stevenson. It's nice to have a reporter out there in the trenches sending in a good interview. Briefly, I'll be in Sydney, Australia, November 11th to 18th, teaching two Ruby on Rails workshops, one for beginners and one advanced. You can go to www.orkshop.com.au to see more details or to sign up. Hello and welcome to the Ruby on Rails podcast. I'm your guest host, Rob Stevenson, from the Columbus Ruby Brigade here at Columbus Rails Studio. With me today are two gentlemen who need no introduction, Dave Thomas and Mike Clark. Welcome. Thanks for having us. All right, so uh, end of day two of the uh, Columbus Rail Studio. And uh, for those of uh, our listeners who aren't familiar with Rail Studio, can you just describe it? Sure. Um, Rail Studio is our flagship studio. It's the foundation course for learning Ruby on Rails. And the intent is teaching developers all the core concepts they should know about Rails to be uh, really productive. We don't assume that people know Ruby or Rails coming into this, so... It's the get up and running with Rails as soon as possible um, and get them productive and, and also get them back to their project as soon as possible so that they can start putting um, a lot of those concepts to work. So it's been a lot of fun here, and it's a great group here in Columbus. So I'd like to ask you, too, about a unique workshop that you started at RailsConf, the Rails Guidebook. Um, can you tell us about it and where the, the idea came from? Well, there are two aspects to the Rails Guidebook, I think. One is the, the, the concept and the other is the need. Um, starting with the need, when you think about it, people come along to a conference uh, at all different levels. Some of them are experts, some of them have never used it before. And uh, it can be real confusing. You walk in there and first of all, you have to choose the sessions you want to go to. Well, how do you know if you want to go to a session if you don't even understand the terminology or the vocabulary of the conference? So. Um, we got to talking about this, and we thought that going to a conference is a bit like vo- uh, visiting a, a foreign country you've never been to before. Uh, you can turn up at the airport and then say, okay, now that I'm here, what shall I do? In which case you waste half of your vacation, you know, just wandering around from something to something. Or you can plan ahead, and to plan ahead, you need a good guidebook, something that's going to say to you, this is the country, this is the layout, this is what people do, this is what's good to see, this is what's not good to see and maybe even include a couple of phrases so you can kind of get by. So we thought the idea of prefacing a conference with a guidebook session was a valuable one. It would help people come up to some kind of common base and come up to speed with the conference. They get more out of the conference that way. Um, And then we got to thinking, well, how can we actually do this? Because clearly, uh, at the time, RailsConf was selling out. They kept extending the um, uh, enrollment for it, and that kept selling out. It was up to like 600, 650 people at the time. And we just could not handle that kind of volume. So how could we make it something where we could offer uh, something to the community, but at the same time, you know, not just like, say, everybody come along to this before it starts. So we were sitting over dinner one night, mm. and we just came up with this idea, well, how about 
we asked people to pay something for it. Uh, we didn't want the money, so why don't we pay something to charity? Uh, so we came up with this idea of a one-day guidebook before the conference uh, where the price of admission was having made a donation to charity. And we set up some charities on the web. Uh, people made the donations. And in the end, we raised how much? Eight, half thousand? Yeah, a little over $8,000. Yeah. yeah. Great. Which was incredible from our standpoint. I mean, we certainly didn't go into it with any goals, but the community just, just opened up and um, ended up being a great event. But, but more than that, it was really satisfying just to, you know, to say, hey, that much was raised in the name. And we got some really super emails from people, too, as they, as they you know, contributed. Um, so we're hoping the tradition kind of gets carried on in other conferences as well. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because, I mean, in a way we'd like to throw down a challenge to other conference organizers to um, see if they can get this kind of event going as well. I mean, from the conference point of view, it involves booking a room for a day ahead of time. Um, other than that, it really does not take much work on their part. It has a good cause. It helps people at the conference. I really think it's a winner all around. So is there any interest in helping to set these up for um, the local and or regional Ruby slash Rails conferences that the Ruby community and Ruby Central seem to be pushing, and when I say setting these up, some kind of guidebook guide that would allow maybe a small local um, Rails or even Ruby um, conference be able to kind of put one of, one of these on. It, yeah, we've got we've got a bit of interest from folks asking about that, and we're happy to to answer questions as people want to set them up. But we also want to keep it incredibly easy, um, so that you know it's easy for people to go about doing that, and there's not a lot to do to set one up. So it would be a matter of you know them coming up with some some amount of material to give a guide to people um, when they come into it. Uh, we used JustGive.org, which turned out to be uh, really easy to use from a web standpoint, and it's nice because um, they are a steward for all the money that comes in. So my hope really is um, there's not a lot to do and that it's somewhat emergent in the sense that people figure out for a given conference or given event what the best thing for to do for that day would be and, and set it up. So logistically it should be easy. But, again, I'm happy to answer questions if people are setting them up and need some help doing that. The, the other thing to say is uh, Mike's point about emergent is, is a, a good one because we're at the situation where we had people traveling literally from all over the world to come to this event. So we had to find a way for people to give that um, was location independent. So a web-based charity or charity kind of meta-charity was a good way of doing it and just give worked out really well. If I was doing a regional event, I think I would want to try and find appropriate regional or local charities to give to. I think it gives it more immediacy. Um, I think it's more important. So I would look around and see what worthy causes are there in our vicinity that need something. It may well be that giving through the web is not the best way of doing it. Maybe bringing food is a way to do it. You know, whatever works locally is the way to work it. I don't think there's any one recipe for the whole the whole process. So let's uh, let's talk enterprise rails. Uh, Dave, can you give the listeners who didn't hear your keynote at RailsConf a summary of of what you had to say? I was grossly misunderstood. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, Here, here's, the, here's the Cliff Notes version of, of, of what I said. Um, Rails has been phenomenally successful, and everybody involved in it should be incredibly proud of the fact. Everybody using Rails should be very grateful to the core team for all, all of the work they put in to get Rails to where it is right now. If you are in a position to use Rails, you are a remarkably lucky developer. 
Uh, you'll be working probably on greenfield projects, maybe, maybe not, but most likely. You'll probably be working for smaller companies. You'll probably have a lot more latitude in your work than most developers enjoy. Um, and that's great, and I feel very happy for you. I'm in that position, and I love it. At the same time, though, the vast, vast majority of developers out there are not in the position to be able to make those kind of decisions. They're not in the, in the position to start greenfield projects. They're working in larger organizations. They're working on what might be called enterprise applications. Um, and it seemed to me, I mean, I spent a lot of my time uh, talking to these developers, and they are frustrated. They're unhappy. Uh, they're looking for better alternatives. It seems to me that um, right now, with Rails, we potentially have something we can offer them to make their lives better. Uh, I think we can make their lives more enjoyable. I think we can let them do better work, uh, get things done quicker, and ultimately deliver value to their companies faster. So it's a win-win for everyone. At the same time, the Rails community um, has not particularly embraced these folks. The Rails community has said, you know, we're happy doing what we're doing. If you want to play, come and play by our rules. And that's good to some point. For the Rails core team, that is exactly the right attitude because the Rails core team has to stay focused on Rails and Rails as it will be developed over the next N years. That's their job. That's their mission. For the rest of us in the community, though, I would like to see some effort take place to bring others into the fold, to help these other people out. Not because I want to see Rails become the enterprise language. It's because I see a whole bunch of really, really unhappy developers. And it's all very well to them to say to them, well, you know, if, if you can't do Rails in your job, then change your job. They don't have that option. And so I would like to try and find ways of bringing Rails to them. And as I say, that does not mean taking Rails core and somehow um, softening it to make it enterprise ready. It means that um, I want to see developers who are on the uh, who know what they're doing in the Rails community start adding features that would make it easier for enterprise developers to justify to their managers the choice of this new technology. Okay. And uh, that position, I think, was I, I miss I miss I didn't do a good job of explaining it because I think many people got the impression that I was saying uh, Rails sucks. We have to go out and fix it to make it work in the enterprise. And that is most definitely not what I was saying. Um, what I am saying is that I think people need to uh, consider, can they help fellow developers who aren't as fortunate as they are? So this is kind of like you know, the Rails guidebook approach to, to software development. You know, it's almost like a charitable act in a way. You know, can, we, can we make Rails more accessible to these people? I still think it's important. Um, I think Rails will ha carry on quite happily whether we do this or not. But uh, I think we actually have the opportunity to do a whole lot of good here. And that's what I would like to see at least some of us focusing on. So the misconception was that you challenged the Rails core team when, in fact, you actually challenged the Ruby community and the Rails community. Yeah, I believe so. And it's funny because I actually looked back through what I said. It was uh, The video was online. And I think I'm pretty explicit when I say this is not a, an issue for the core team. This is an issue for the community. Um, I think it was just... Uh, there's a lot of passion in this area, and I think people tended to hear what they thought they heard rather than what it was actually said. Right, because DHH said in his keynote, in response to your own keynote, basically saying a big no. And, but, you know, and the thing there is, that's actually the correct thing to say. And he said the big no as if it was a rebuttal, but in fact, it's exactly what I said. 
Right? The big no is the Rails core should not change to do that. Um, and it would be inappropriate for the Rails core team to get defocused by thinking about all these quote enterprise unquote issues. They're doing a great job staying focused on the bleeding edge. That's where they should be. But at the same time, other people in the community could be sitting there filling in the gaps and, and going along. So there's, there's a lot of people liked, I mean, there's this thing where people love confrontation, right? I mean, the news shows, it's always like pro-view, anti-view. You know, everyone wants like a big argument, you know? you know. Can we turn this into Jerry Springer? Um, the reality is there is no dissension. The reality is there is really no debate on this. It's um, just different facets of the same thing. So, Mike, you've worked in many enterprise environments, a former Java guy who is now Java-free. Uh, what's your take <laughs> on this enterprise struggle that's seemingly occurring in the Rails community? Uh, well, we see it from a different perspective because I think uh, we do two things. We live in two sort of worlds. We live in the we do greenfield development too, and we use Rails to do that, and it gives us you know a big bump in getting us off the platform to build web apps. But then we come and do a studio, and we meet lots of folks who um, are clearly in a, a different world. They're living in a world where they're trying to tie together systems that already exist. They're trying to tap into databases that don't match the quote-unquote Rails way. So Rails gives them a big boost, but it's not as much as, say, somebody starting a greenfield development. And they're naturally just going to say, hey, you know, this extra 10%, how do I get here? Because I still don't have a tool that gives me as much of a bump as Rails, but i got to do a little bit extra to fit this into my world. And human nature being what it is, and a smart choice on their part, they say, you know, I'm going to go off and, and build this. Um, I agree with Dave, this, this stuff that fits these edge pieces in enterprises isn't something that Core should be working on. And they've taken a really, I mean, to take an example of that, um, internationalization is something that, that the core team has been vocal about saying, we're not the ones to solve that. We don't specifically have that need. We want somebody who has the need to solve that issue. And in much the same way, um, I'm looking for folks that, that perhaps come to studio or working in enterprise shops, fill those needs based on very specific applications of things that need to get fixed. And we're seeing that happen um, in terms of, you know, I know there was a compound primary key plugin recently developed um, and there's stuff going on related to more enterprise-level thinking. And I think that's just naturally going to get filled in on the edges. The more we can help them do that and bring them into the fold, I think the better, so that we don't end up just splintering all these off and people keep reinventing these wheels in the enterprise. I think the other side of that is that it's very easy, given the success of Rails, to say that Rails is the solution. And the reality is that the success of Rails is founded on the elegance and power of Ruby. And even though sometimes Rails is not the appropriate enterprise solution, Ruby might well be. And I'm seeing a lot more people being interested in the enterprise aspects of Ruby um, if they feel that Rails isn't the direct fit. And so people are using Ruby as an enterprise glue language to uh, put together uh, or to uh, get value out of other back-end existing applications and you know, derive new functionality from those applications. Yeah, and, and we see people asking that in studio as well. I mean, they often say, you know, does Rails integrate with LDAP? Well, no, but it doesn't need to because there are LDAP libraries written in Ruby that let you do that. Um, and so there, we are seeing these edges being filled in, and it's not necessarily being filled in by Rails, nor should it be. It's being filled in by libraries that people new to Rails discover, oh, hey, Ruby's been around for a long time. People have built these solutions, and then picking those up and assembling them back into the enterprise that way. And I think that's a very healthy thing to do. 
I, I see that rounding things out quite nicely. When does it become, say, the you know the compound primary key become so prevalent as a plugin that it makes sense to integrate it into Rails core? Does it ever? That's a question for the core team. Yeah, that's not a <coughs> decision that that we want to make or in a position to make. See, I, I would personally see the question be the other way around. Um, how much of what is currently in core can we take out and put into plugins? Um, I think that one of the interesting things about Ruby is that we do have a plugin architecture that's on Rails. Sorry, has a plugin in your architecture, which is pretty powerful. And if we can start stripping stuff out and sticking it into plugins, uh, we'll make the core easier to maintain, easier to understand, and we'll make the whole platform you know, easier to work with. So um, I don't think that's the that's the question to ask. I think the question really is, you know, what can we take out? So my Capistrano and for Dave as well. Capistrano has been a, a huge hit. You know, James Absolutely. Buck now is, you know, has statues erected in, in town squares because of of Capistrano. I have one on my desk. Excellent. <laughs> is there is there anything in store for the for the next major release? Um, I I chatted with James a bit about it, and and I just want to say, um, speaking about Capistrano, um, which I do, I just got done doing at OzCon, and we teach it here as well. Um, it's an absolute joy because it's a gorgeous piece of software. It's incredibly well designed and is so fun to demonstrate to people um, because you get this smile on people's faces when they realize, hey, deployment can be really easy, and this software is, is great to use. So um, I agree with you. Uh, Capistrano has been a, a huge success, and it's a great little piece of software. In terms of updates, and, and along those lines, I mean, oftentimes great software doesn't need a lot of up upgrades, right? It, it does one thing really, really well. Um, and we don't have to extend it. But there is some stuff going on um, in the Capistrano world. I'm not particularly doing it, so um, I looked at the, at the change logs, much as anyone else interested in what's going on in Capistrano. And there is some stuff going on in there, and most of it centers around um, allowing you to do stuff, deploy stuff to machines or interact with machines that aren't necessarily in the production series. Maybe you want to move files around. Um, or you want to move assets around somewhere. There's also some work going on with respect to streaming or aggregating uh, data coming from multiple machines, for example, streaming log files um, more easily. But I see the changes more just like sort of um, convenient stuff, not really major upgrades. Um, and I, I don't know what James has in store for that. Clearly, um, the development for that comes from a need that he has um, working where he does in, in those deployment environments. Um, and um, I would really like to see, however, um, for example, at, at RailsConf, a lot of people came up and said, you know, does Capistrano do this? You know, we have this certain need. And uh, I'm trying to demonstrate to people the extension mechanisms in Capistrano, mm -hmm. the ability to write task libraries so that they don't wait for Capistrano proper, just like we shouldn't wait for Rails core to do something. They can extend Capistrano and share that with the rest of the community for very specific sorts of operations in their environments. So I think that's a world that that will team a bit more as people recognize that it's not just this one you know core that they have to use. They can actually extend it. And he's put on some very neat hooks for doing that. So I hope that thrives. And that seems like something that um, isn't well known as far as being able to extend Capistrano as now the, the plug-in architecture for Rails is. So that's that's good to hear. Indeed. Is there is there any go work going on to implement the notion of stage deployments that you made in your keynote, Dave? I know that at least two ISPs 
have worked towards that. Uh, one actually had something in progress as I was talking. Um, so yes, that's beginning to happen. I'm not aware of any unified basis for that. Um, I know that there is a little bit of work going on in Capistrano to help do a little bit of that, part of that process, but not the kind of uh, two-stage deployment or um, separating out the responsibilities of deployment that I talked about in the keynote. In the keynote, uh, I pointed out that the way we do Capistrano right now is totally push. So a developer basically says, stick my application up on this group of servers, and that is defined by the deploy file in Capistrano. And I pointed out that um, in many environments, both in ISP environment and also in corporate environments, really that should be split into two. So that the server defines where things can go, what the access control policies are, even things like database passwords. And then the developer says, this is the software I'd like to deploy into that environment. And then the two kind of mesh together to get an application up and running. I still think that's a really good idea. Um, it's, it would just make life a whole lot sweeter for people using ISPs if nothing else. So the Pragmatic Studio started with just the Rails Studio workshop first, um, which is sold out at every location. I counted seven so far on your uh, Pragmatic Studio website. Even Columbus, Ohio, which is kind of known as flyover country, we, uh, <laughs> we have a, a sold-out room here. Um, you now have Advanced Rails and the just-announced Rails Edge. Can you talk about your other studios? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, but first let me say uh, one of the reasons that it was so successful here in Columbus and sold out is because of the Ruby community that's here. Um, Joe O'Brien specifically um, actually approached us and said, hey, we'd love to do one of these in, in Columbus. Can you guys come here? And we said, you know, sure, can we gather enough people? And that happened rather quickly. So that's a testament to how strong the Ruby base in Columbus and Cincinnati is. And it, it's like the little Silicon Valley um, of Ruby in the country. So a big thanks to them for doing that. We did just announce the Rails Edge um, for Denver. That's a different offering. That's a new type of offering where we're going to do more of a conference setting where we bring together multiple speakers and talk about topics in and around Ruby, but not necessarily top to bottom as you would in, in say, a, a training course sort of environment. So it's kind of extending the bounds of what we've been doing so far. So we've got some great speakers lined up for that, and we'll do that regionally, um, much like we do the studios, um, just setting up regions and, and visiting those as well. Um, and then we're doing Enterprise Ruby. Um, we've talked about how we think Ruby can fill in uh, parts of the enterprise, and we're seeing folks do that. And Stu Holloway and Justin Getlin are teaching uh, Enterprise Ruby in Boston um, in September. And then we've got our Advanced Rails Studio coming in Boston later that September. And Advanced Rails is really taking this foundation we build in the Rails Studio um, up a notch and um, addressing specific, uh, spe specific scenarios in building apps. Um, more of kind of a recipe-based, very much hands-on. Uh, we'll be teaching that with Chad Fowler in a, in a hands-on environment. Um, so we're very much looking forward to that. So there's now training to be done uh, all over the world, and uh, I think Jeffrey Grossenbach has the uh, the Rails training um, website up there where I counted at least eight countries, uh, Ghana being one of them, uh, with some wow. of the teachers being uh, Ruby on Rails podcast on Jeffrey Grossenbach, you have Chad Fowler, Bruce Tate, David Black, and, of course, Dave and yourself, Mike. How important is training in our books for a language or technology to gain critical mass? Oh, very important um, in many different ways. Um, if you take Ruby, for example, um, Ruby is an incredibly good language. It was, what, 
94, I guess, when it first started coming out. It's been around in Japan for a long time. It was pretty much unknown uh, outside Japan until the Pickaxe book came along, the first edition of the Pickaxe book came along. Um, the book um, is basically an introduction. It's a passport. Uh, it also, to some extent, the f the, and this is not necessarily you know, a, a correct thing, but it's, it's a factual thing, that a book lends credibility. Um, and uh, people like to see books on things before, for example, you know, they'll take it on, does someone else take this seriously enough to write a book on it? Um, also, if you look at things like Ruby and look at things like Rails, um, it helps to have good documentation. Uh, the Ruby uh, libraries were not that well documented before the pickaxe came along. I mean, to, to write the pickaxe, I basically had to read the source code and reverse engineer all the APIs. Um, the Rails documentation was in a lot better state. It had um, a whole lot of RDoC in it, uh, but at the same time, it wasn't obvious how all the various individual method calls worked together to help you write an application. Um, so I think the books help in, in many ways, uh, and I think uh, a couple of good books help to cement a community, act as kind of focal point for community. Uh, I think now what we're seeing is um, every publisher has three or four books coming out on Ruby or Rails, and those books are doing well, um, and people are looking are very critically at the books to say, how does each book help extend my, my knowledge of the language? So um, we're going to start seeing some really good books coming out. I think we're going to start seeing publishers being um, better about focusing on producing content that people want. Uh, and I think that's all going to help. I think we're going to see the communities take off because those books help as a foundation. And often treating is the second step of that because somebody buys the book and then they go home and they read it in the, in the quiet of their own environment. And, you know, they jot down questions. And then the next step is, okay, I'd like to be around a bunch of people using Rails. Um, I'd like to get my questions answered about this thing. And then they come to training, and, of course, they answer those questions. They say, hey, I read the book, but in this paragraph, what did you really mean by this this thing? And then they talk with other people in the class as well. And that really kind of brings this community aspect mm. um, for them as opposed to reading it um, at, at home. So that's we kind of see that being the second step of things. In fact, that's actually one of the things I really like about this idea of regional events, whether it's the regional studios or the Rails Edge, which is again a regional thing, is that it brings together people who are local. And so at the start of, for example, the Columbus studio, we ask people to stand up and introduce themselves. I would guess, what, 70% of the people are, you know, for within a couple of hours of here. Yeah. And so now they know each other. And now they can get together, they can join the local Ruby Brigade, or they can meet over a beer somewhere and talk about things. And so it's kind of like now a network of people who are also doing this, and they can help each other out. I think people are always surprised when we do that to find how many people in their community are doing Ruby and Rails work or are at least interested in them enough that they can team up and do things. So that has been a fun part of it. All right. Well, I'd like to thank my guests today, uh, Dave Thomas and Mike Clark. Thank you for speaking after the second day of uh, the Rails studio where I'm sure you guys are a little bit fried. And uh, I can't wait for day three. I'll see you tomorrow. It's been fun. Thanks. Appreciate it. Good night. This has been the Ruby on Rails podcast, transcripts courtesy of imapenguin.com, closing music by Wide Lucky Stiff, audio equipment by Samson Audio.